Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day here in the capital city as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Jackie Arnold. Jackie is an international executive coach, supervisor and cross-cultural expert at Coach for Executives, trading as Arnold Associates. Jackie, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us. Not at all. Thank you, Scott. It's a real pleasure, Jackie. Now, the purpose of this discussion, first and foremost, is to establish your take on leadership. So looking at that word leader, to begin with, just on its own for a second, I'm interested to understand what that word actually means to you and how it resonates on the whole. Yes, it's an interesting question, because I think that um, generally the people I work with are all leaders. I mean, we're all leaders in our own right, I suppose. You know, you could say that there are teams within the NHS, for example, there are leaders within that, um, and there are leaders that just are in their own communities. So I think leader is a very broad term, um, but I think that also we're thinking today about the leadership of the world in general and um, the UN Global Goals, for example, that I'm very interested in helping leaders to um, to enhance and to work towards because, of course, it's, it's a very short span so that, that's, I suppose, my take on leadership for you. <laughs> and in the context of the current climate as well, with the emergence of COVID-19, where we've seen a renewed focus on mental health and well-being, how important do you think that mental health is in leadership, both in terms of one's own mental health and that of one's colleagues? I think it's absolutely crucial. In fact, um, I'm actually working on, on a book at the moment called Health Empowerment for Leaders. So um, it is extremely important because without their mental health, without their slowing down and taking wise decisions, mm. obviously the country can't move forward in the way that it needs to right now as a result of the climate change, as a result of COVID, as a result of Brexit. All these things are factors. And it's important to just take stock sometimes, isn't it? Because you have to balance proactivity and reactivity and sort of find um, an equilibrium between the two because we have to be proactive as leaders and we have to make, um, of course, decisions, have plans in place and maybe take things into our own hands sometimes, especially in the context of the current climate where sort of there's been a lot of debate about how the government has handled the crisis but also it takes a degree of reactivity as well reacting very quickly to changing circumstances and guidelines but also you have to be able to take very measured decisions when doing that rather than just knee-jerk reactions so striking a balance that's a big challenge isn't it absolutely it is and i think the the, the power of reflective practice is that people can actually stop and make those wise decisions it doesn't have to be done. It, it, obviously, yes, there are times where we need to react fast, but there are also times where we need to take stock, we need to pause, we need to think, we need to be able to take the time to plan, which a lot of people don't do these days. And I think that's a, a really crucial aspect of leadership, taking that time to plan, to say, okay, today these are my priorities, this is where my focus lies, and not to get sidetracked with other things that can jump in sometimes. And is there any technique that you would recommend to other leaders um, to sort of improve on that side of things or help improve productivity, for instance? Well, I think so. I think, you know, we know that when you're very busy, this stops creativity and, and stops wise decision making. And so therefore, we know from neuroscience that if we continue on this track that we're on now, this very busy, 
um, overwhelmed track, but wise decisions can't be made. And so I think that powerful, reflective processes and methodologies such as uh, clean language, for example, which is a methodology we use in our mm. in our daily lives, um, really important, really important. And considering that it is easy, again, from a mental health point of view, to sort of get buried in sort of the the real action of it all sort of uh, you're so sort of deep in getting everything uh, done you're constantly busy all of the time um how easy do you find it personally to just switch off because that is necessary sometimes as well isn't it it is i mean we need to stay in the present moment but we also need to sit and think about things and in a calm environment and i think you know going back to the the making the time to plan. I think if we make time in our diary, sometimes we just have to put it in the diary. This is the space that I need to be able to plan for the next meeting or the next client or the next project or whatever it is I'm happy to be doing. It's really important to take that time. And also in that time to reflect on what has gone well, mm. what didn't go as well, what could I do better next time? Those kind of thoughts really help, I think. We talk about re- retreat, reflect, and return, which I think is a nice um, acronym to think about the three R's. Mm, I could see the merit in that, certainly. The three R's, I mean, great acronym, certainly um, easy to uh, to remember um, as well. And for one, um, for, for those listeners who are actually tuning into this, excuse me, I think that's a very important message to uh, take away from that. Um, we have touched already, um, Jackie, on um, COVID-19 very briefly. Um, I'm interested to sort of delve into that a little bit further and understand maybe how things have changed, if at all, behind the scenes at Coach for Executives if you've adjusted to meet with this pandemic. Yes, very much so. I think the leaders that I'm supporting at the moment are much more thinking globally and thinking, okay, What do I need now to do differently in order to support my staff, create those key relationships that I need to create? Because a lot of them are working with global teams, and that's very challenging at the moment. And very often these global teams are working remotely, they're working from their homes, they've got other distractions, and actually helping to motivate them and encourage them and empower them is actually quite tricky at the moment. But they do need to do that. And in order to do that, This is where the executive reflection comes in, I think. They need to reflect on how do I then motivate my team? How do I empower them to be able to work post-COVID in these unprecedented changing times? And I was speaking to a gentleman working in the uh, the property industry just the other day, actually. And one of the things that he really learned from this uh, pandemic is that people react to crises in particular in different ways that's the case with anything i mean different leaders have to take different approaches with different people because no one approach will necessarily match one personality you have to understand what motivates people and what makes people tick of course but um when it comes to working under new conditions be that adapting to working remotely or be that adapting to working on site under new safety procedures um sometimes people can be more inclined to just get on with it and get their hands dirty straight away whereas others might need just a little bit of an extra arm around them a little bit of reassurance and that people management side of things that's been incredibly important within leadership hasn't it in the context of the last few months absolutely it has and i think you know your point about being different styles people having different styles and having different coping mechanisms is really important and i think that's where executive reflection can really help because what we're trained to do obviously is work with people of different styles different nationalities different mindsets And everybody is different and copes differently. 
And it's about helping them to use the strategies that work best for them in, in this unprecedented time. I mean, we are living in, a, in what we call a global, virtual and diverse world. Mm. And that world can be quite complicated and complex. And with regards to adapting to this new reality once again, just to sort of touch back on the uh, the COVID um, issue at the uh, the moment, um, I'm interested mm. to understand, Jackie, if there's anything that you have really learned from this period, because when it comes to executive leadership especially, it's always a learning process, isn't it? We're never a finished article, even though we're in a leadership role. So it's a constant process of learning and development. And this has really been one of the biggest learning curves for businesses of our time. It has, it has. And I think probably the focus is on people's health and well-being. I think that has been much more the focus that I've seen and also I've been asked for. You know, how do I work productively in this environment, but at the same time look after my own health and well-being, both mental and physical? And sometimes it's also, you know, taking that holistic approach and saying, which we always do, obviously, but this more than ever since COVID, because People are more aware of the climate change. They're more aware of being sustainable in what they do. They're more aware of their own health and well-being in what they do. And they know and realize that they need to get more sleep, more activity outside the work environment in order to have a clear head. So I think the focus for me has been very much more on health and well-being. And hopefully we can maintain focus on those issues as we move forward into the new normal that everybody's talking about. Um, But other than that, um, Jackie, um, what other features of the lockdown period do you think may end up becoming permanent parts of the way that we operate and do business in this country? Well, I think talking to a lot of leaders recently and saying, are you going back to work? And the answer has been, "Mm, not sure. So I think that things are going to become much more virtual. We're going to be using technology a lot more for things like conferences, um, you know, meetings with people. I think that's going to stay because people have, I was talking to somebody only this morning who was very surprised about how she's been able to do some training online and actually engage the people just as well as she did when she was face-to-face. So I think a lot of people are going to be continuing to do work through Zoom, through Microsoft Teams, mm. which, whichever platform they seem to prefer, and that will continue. And so we'll see a lot more technology coming to the fore. We'll see a lot of people sharing cars. I think something else has come up for me is people are sharing mm. ways to travel. So they don't want to go necessarily on public transport. An awful lot of leaders are saying, I'm not going to fly as much as I used to. And that's been a revelation in in the past six months. I've seen leaders say, I can do my work virtually. I don't need to be stepping into an aeroplane at every five minutes. It's going to be a real change, not just for sustainability, but also the events industry in particular, uh, that, uh, exactly. that revelation, et cetera. Um, and, w- and when we think about the uh, the future and what that might bring as we adjust to the new normal and move through the pandemic, Jackie, just before we wrap things up on the programme, um, what do you envision for yourself and Coach for Executives and what do you really hope to achieve as we look into the future? Well, I think that my, my business is very much aligned with the UN 2030 Global sustainable goals and so for me it's perhaps having those edgy conversations that we we may have skipped over in previous years so those conversations around okay so what do we need to do so that we can ensure that the planet is fit and healthy for our next generation 
and, and that's the way that I would like to see my business going to to be asking those those kind of questions that maybe we need to address but haven't done so widely as we as we should have done, and to also make sure that the the planet is healthy for our for our future generations. I think that's a really important message to uh, to take away from this and some fo- some things that we really do need to be focusing on as we move into the uh, the future for sure um jackie i've got to say it's been a real pleasure having you on the uh, the program today and a really insightful experience not just for myself but also i think for the listeners as well and you know given how informative it's been i think it would be fantastic to actually catch up and have you back on the program with us in a few months time just to assess what's changed in the uh, the time between and see how things are getting on behind the scenes and hopefully we'll be talking about how we're keeping those issues firmly in the forefront of our discussions yes i, I believe that will i hope so too believe me <laughs> jackie um do take care and do stay safe in the meantime until we do touch base again in future because um as of course we both well know even though we're starting to see things returning to normality at the moment, um, we're not out of the woods with this yet. And there is still plenty of time for things to change one way or the other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Scott. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. That was Jackie Arnold speaking, international executive coach, supervisor and cross-cultural expert at Coach4 Executives. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Liz Field, the Chief Executive of the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. That is the trade body for firms who provide such services for individuals and families. I hope that you enjoy listening to the interview just as much as Jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with Liz. And that is coming up next. I'm Jonathan White, and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start, if we may. There's maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in uh, uh, across the board these days, but of course, it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago when, of course, um, MAPFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right, yes. Um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly 30 years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now. And the, uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the, the uh, uh, has been going from strength to strength uh, since. Uh, what would you say at the moment uh, is are, are, are the priorities uh, for yourselves there? Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of um, of businesses, which all have one thing in common, which is that they face the clients, they they face the consumer. Um, so whether that is face to face or whether that is um, online. Uh, It's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. 
Uh, but we're going through uh, a number of, of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a, 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 a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, it's, it's very challenging um, to... Um, Kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world. So uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, and an investment management firm to help you, um, because it is quite a complex arena, and that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally. So um, if you have that as a backdrop, uh, and then politically you have what's going on um, with post Brexit uh, and where the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. Oh, without a doubt. I think uh, it, maybe, Lizzie, there's quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. uh, occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, th- I think it's, 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Lizzie, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think that the, the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's, go- it's, just, it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Mm. Um, And financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also quite like to see is is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum, because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people, for uh, youngsters and school kids. It will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or you know that they they deal with on a day-to-day basis which is money. So the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money um the better I think because that then we'll start to promote a culture of of savings and investments which we so badly need in our in 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 our um in our country. Without a doubt Liz, because and again you've hit the nail on the head because there's only so much 
uh, that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you can, you, as you've pointed out very well, uh, it, it, companies can try all they all they might, but it, it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah. And I think as um, uh, for example, uh, with with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least. Whether they become actions is another <laughs> thing entirely. Regarding what you could consider a for a, a far more applied mathematics in in a lot of uh, uh, the system, but time time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Liz, yes, I we, think you're right. <laughs> we probably shouldn't. Um, now, looking at, at a couple of the points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seemed as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a, a large majority for the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now... Uh, uh, left the European Union without without dragging you down the political rabbit hole here, at least. Is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more s far more certainty in the market? And what are your hopes for the next twelve months? Um, I think I, I think that that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst you know, 31st of January came and went, um, you know, we're now, we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period. Um, and for, for UK, um, savers and, uh, and investors, uh, in terms of where the rules are made, there's still, there's still not some clarity about that. Um, you know, we're, we're still, uh, well, we don't know yet whether we're still tied, um, or will be tied to the, um, European rulemaking, um, down the line. That's still to be negotiated. I mean, we've always said that actually for, for savers and investors, we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds. Um, however, it, it, you know, the, the majority of our of our firms look after UK savers, um, and therefore, a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. What we're talking about is smarter regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in, Euro in Europe, England, or U the UK rather, and, and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past, and we're hoping that we we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rulemaker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So whilst I'd like to be posit positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation, and uh, until we see where we go to with that, 
Uh, and of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst the same piece, you know. Famous fellows, aren't they? Indeed. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think. Absolutely. Um, And it will be an interesting year, if nothing else. Um, uh, Now, you you, you mentioned there, at least uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, uh, PIMFA has. Uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the FCA, um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think part, I, th- I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate, um, it, it, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. Our criticism is that, you know, we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or, you know, the lifeboat funds to pay, you know, recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is has always been that the polluter pays. But the polluters have, have long since folded by the time it comes to any payment, which means that good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken. Um, and, and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the, that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big. So that, you know, what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined, we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it? Mm. Um, and that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, we're in the process of finalizing a paper, uh, which we um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe FCA, you should be looking at in your supervisory process, and we want to help you to do your job better. Now, I I know there's no such thing as a a magic wand, Liz, and perhaps it will be putting you on the spot. <laughs> but if let's imagine, let's let's imagine you did have one just for the just for this afternoon, perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system. And perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet, you might want want to reveal something that's in it. Um, but if you could. <laughs> Um, what, what would be your number one priority? If we, if we were to, if I were, my number one priority to, to solve the system in terms of reform. In terms of reform, what regulatory yeah, reform yes. you mean? Um, I think. Oh goodness me, the one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it <laughs> is. Gosh, yes. Wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Sure. 
Um, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter, um, which is, you know, gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them and what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that then everybody will be will be better off good now I'm conscious of the time here Liz it's already catching up with us so perhaps if we can take a, a little step back and uh, and look at um, uh, the operations of Pimfer again it's what Pimfer do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organizations can that really Liz, be underestimated the importance of having those working relationships with with the departments and the organizations that you do have no i don't i, I think it's absolutely fundamental um to any business actually mm. but it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is PIMFA. Uh, I mean, we talk about the, you know, the values that we have as an organization. We, we are a small organization, uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So relationship building um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt. And I think that's the key point, Liz, isn't it, that that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or, or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think and because of the time here, we, we, I, I must start to wrap up. But um, perhaps I can ask, Liz, looking forward, and I know the next 12 months is full of uncertainty, what are uh, the plans PIMFA has for it nonetheless? Um, so I think our well, our key priority this this next twelve months is 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 to be talking um, much more, um, and we 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 have been lobbying um, a fair bit on this. But because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing, that you know, they, they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter um, and what does what does regulation look like for, uh, for us moving forward. But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those those two um, are kind of what are, are the main the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it, um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is is just. Um, is just one of those things. There are a whole host of another of other things promoting the sector as a as a force for good and as an integral part of a of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental well being uh, is is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future of regulation, future of supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be uh, a more important year, uh, or has not been in a while, that will determine the future of all of those things. 
and perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. Um, but it's been <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today. Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things. Thank you. I would love to do that. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.